Your goal is to create happy customers who then create other happy customers. Go! Congratulations! Here's what I've learned. The best of the best have got the problem. selling, going, going. God, so congratulations. Let's have a look at the facts. Watch your goal for the next six months. So guys and girls, let's talk a little bit about... So last week was Sydney, Brisbane, Harvey Bay, Gympie, Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast, Ipswich, Mackay. It was a long trip. I'm working really, really hard. In addition to doing conferences and speaking and traveling, I do proper work in between, guys and girls. So, um, and uh, why am I doing all of this? Yes, partly I like it. Partly is because I think it's the best way for me to cope at the moment. I think when I've got too much spare time on my hands, my head recreates the last four or five weeks with my brother. And that seems to get me sadder than what I normally is as a baseline at the moment. So what I find is by staying busy, it's difficult to actually recreate problems in your head when you're actually trying to solve other problems. Yes, it's probably a band-aid solution, but people do what they've got to do to get through what they've got to get through. So guys and girls, I'm going to tell you that as I was driving, and that's where this came about, I was driving from Ipswich to Brisbane Airport. One of my colleagues was taking me to the airport to fly to Mackay on Thursday night. And we went past the area where there was a real estate agent called Jared Bain Clay. Now, if you can recall the story, in 2012, he murdered his wife, Jared Baden Clay murdered his wife and uh, was actually part of the uh, police uh, rescue squad trying to make it look like she disappeared. Subsequently, he got charged and he's in jail. He was a Brisbane real estate agent. Good evening, Steve Georgiakos. Good evening to you all. So what's really interesting about this is when I was listening, and by the way, I'm just so over the moon because I found out. So imagine, that's a sad case. That's a case where the father goes to jail permanently or for the next 30 years and the wife, Alison Baden-Clay, is murdered. Now, many of you watching this may know of the people we're talking about, may have even worked with them. They're in Brisbane. Now, um, yes, there's a thumbs down there calling him a ratbag. I'm not actually going to sit here and talk, hello, Nick Carr. I'm not here, I'm going to talk to you about his character because I think uh, the courts have decided on what that is. But what I was going to talk to you about is in 2009 on a YouTube clip, there's a, on 60 Minutes, on a YouTube clip, there is a real estate agent on the Gold Coast, on the Gold Coast, that he, I think, is doing some sort of deal, like a conjunction or a co-agent, right? And in the phone call, he says to this Gold Coast real estate agent, do you want to come and work for me, right? So he's never met this person, right? So, you know, you get that, you get it. You know, obviously this guy, you know, he's a principal of an office there in Brisbane and he's talking to someone and offers a job, right? You know, so that's one thing. She says no, but get ready for this. She says no. And then he says, oh, well, if you don't want to come and work for me, I've got another job for you. Would you be interested in killing my wife? When I heard that, I thought to myself, is this like some sort of skit? Is this some sort of, you know, prank that the guy has told a real estate agent 
that he's trying to do some conjunction with, does she want to go work for him? She says no, right? She's on, she's on 60 minutes. So the actual agent is on 60 minutes. Then he says to the agent, get ready for this. Hey, Piers, get ready for this. Uh, well, if you don't want to come and work for me, I've got another job for you. Would you be interested in killing my wife? That's in 2009. In 2012, she got murdered. I actually think that that's bizarre. I think it's bizarre that there's one real estate agent speaking to another real estate agent that they've never met, offers them some sort of deal conjunction. That happens. Then they turn around and say, do you want to come with me? No, but I've got another job for you. Are you interested in killing my wife? Like, seriously, seriously, would you not have, I mean, to me, I would have thought to myself, fuck, if that happened to me, I think I would have told, like, I would have come on social media and said, this guy's just asked me to kill his wife. But anyway, that's got to be one of the most bizarre things of all. Whilst we're talking about bizarre things, let's talk about bizarre things. The first thing I want to be very clear, I want to touch on this subject called weed. I want to touch on this subject called medicinal cannabis. I want to touch on a subject called marijuana. As you may be, be aware, in various parts of the world, and it's running through all of the USA, in many, many states of the USA, um, cannabis now is legal. Um, medicinal cannabis... About two years in Australia for certain for certain patients, which it's very very hard to get. So that's why most case of cancer patients are doing it all illegally. Um, so it's becoming less illegal. Let's use that term. But what I can't understand is how on earth a doctor, a GP, can write out prescriptions for things like oxytocin. All these addictive drugs that have the same withdrawal symptoms that you would have with heroin. They are happy to prescribe those medications. They're happy to prescribe Valium Stillnox. But I am perplexed how they cannot prescribe to people with a terminal illness that there is empirical evidence, black and white. And I'm telling you, as someone that has been a cancer patient, I will tell you, I have been the subject and the scientist. Number one, gets rid of nausea and vomiting, gets rid of pain, gives you an appetite, helps you sleep, right? This is a plan. And not only that, I've gone off and I've researched I cannot find anything on Google that actually says, that actually says that there has been one death ever on the planet via cannabis. Now, let's be very clear. What there's clear research is, if you are under 18 and you're doing bongs or joints, your brain is going to end up being pretty shit because it is developing. So that is an absolute no-no. What the research also shows, if you have a predisposition towards a mental illness, it's in the family, stay away. You might be actually starting to see things, delusional, paranoia, signs of mental illness. But man, 
If you're a person, like I've just seen enough research, people with epilepsy, kids, Charlotte's Web, the, it's been named after her. I mean, we're talking about kids that have 300 epileptic episodes a week. They go straight away. And what I think the issue is this, that too much of a stigma is about the psychotic part of cannabis, which is T, tetra, TCH or THC, not the other one, which is CBD oil. Now, I have to tell you, CBD oil is rampant in the world of cancer, right? There are 80-year-old women, right, that are putting it underneath their tongue. It is rampant. I think the sooner the medical fraternity get educated, they are going to save a lot of people who are not only devastated because they've got a terminal illness and they're going to die, but it's going to help these people have some dignity, have some self-respect, be able to actually sleep without vomiting. Honestly, gang, I mean, I don't feel like, I've got to tell you, I'm an anti-drugs person. I don't like the feeling of high, but I've got to tell you, I hate hearing and seeing people that are actually going through so much distress from chemicals that are in their body called chem chemotherapy. I mean, this is not orange juice. These are chemicals that are, you know, in the body. Anyway, let's move on. Number one, what I'm going to talk about to you today is the law of threshold. Important law, important law, guys and girls. Important law, and I'm going to tell you why it's an important law. The law of threshold says this, that once you get to a certain level, the value does not increase incrementally. So for instance, what we're saying is, if you are a 7 out of 10 listener in real estate, and hypothetically, you become a 9 out of 10 lister. What it's basically saying is that from 9 to 10, it is not going to have a significant return for you. Or you're a basketball player. Once you're at 6 foot 1, whether you're 6 8 or 6 5, it's not going to make a huge difference. Or um, work. If you're working 55 hours, whether you go to 60 hours, it's not going to make a heap of a difference. And the reason is because of this law of diminishing returns. And why this is important is that I think sometimes people can become myopic and obsessive worrying about that final little 1%. Whereas, in fact, the research, and there's some really great research, a really good book I'd recommend you all to read is Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, where he talks about once you get to a certain level, improving your skill is not going to actually give you big returns. So what other things will matter are things like your social skills, your, you know, your connections, people that you actually know, um, your, um, 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 uh, let me just think of, um, your willingness, um, 
So there's all these other factors which brought me up to the think about luck. And I'd be really interested, you know, to find out, do people think that luck is a contributor to success? And I thought really long and hard about it. And I got to say, hello, Nikki Rigas. I thought, um, so I thought long and hard about it. And I have to say, yes, it does play a role. Because what happens, like for instance, you get a job working for two people. Your first two bosses are really rotten people, right? Not nice guys or girls, right? So you end up working for bad people, right? And then what actually happens is, so that's one employer and then a second employer, and you work out. And let's assume you've got all the other things that are going for, you know, like you're hungry, hardworking, you're committed, you're passionate, but you get a run of two bad employers. I know plenty of people that have turned around and actually said, I'm gonna treat this as a dead end. It's not working out for me. And what had happened is where they started working was not the right person. Well, you know, other things, like seriously, luck. I mean, you got to admit, we're already lucky. Like if you're born in Australia or New Zealand, UK, right, that's probably better than being born in Syria at the moment. So, gang, I do think that luck is a contributor. But I think what great people do is it's not what happens to them, it's what they do about what happens to them. Remember that. I want to move on to the second rule that I came out of that book, Outliers Reading, and that was the 10,000-hour rule. And I actually broke it down, and I worked out the 10,000-hour rule. Let me just move up some of these comments there on Insta. By the way, please tag someone. Please tag someone. Share that video. Um, when people tag or share at the end of the video, go and have a look. And if you don't know how to do it, there's a button on the left-hand side of your phone. If you press that share button, and I've got to tell you, you probably notice I'm a little bit better behaved with the language I use, so don't be embarrassed. I'm not going to upset anyone and make them cry. Anyway, so um, the 10,000-hour rule basically says that it'll take you 10,000 hours to actually master something, you know? And that's why I always use the term, um, um, hey, and there's Alfia Aquino's husband, Mr. Murray, who I met for the first time. Big shout out to you on the Sunday Night Rant. Saw him at an auction yesterday. But getting back to this, the 10,000 hour rule says it's gonna take you 10,000 hours to master something. So if you think about it, Every winner was once a beginner, okay? Number one. And you should never compare your chapter one to someone's chapter 10. Now, I did a quick calculation. I thought to myself, what's 10,000 hours? 10,000 hours works out to being about 40 hours a week over five years if you're working 48 weeks a year. So essentially what we're saying is it can take you up to five years to actually master something. And that's why, guys and girls, I do think that some children have got an advantage over other children. For instance, if they're, if you've got parents that have got the ability to pay for high-level tennis tuition fees from the age of 10 to the age of 15, there's a higher possibility, there's a higher possibility that people that 
have got access to these funds are going to end up becoming a better tennis player, right? Because they get these five years of this tuition that's been able to be supported by parents that are wealthy. And, um, you know, sometimes I've got to be really careful about saying stuff because it comes across as being politically incorrect. But politically incorrect and the truth sometimes can both exist. But what was I going to say that might affect that? Okay, so a really interesting thing. So if you Google this, you know, um, African-American people, right, under 12 are considered to be one of the worst swimmers. The group of people that are the worst swimmers in the world. So you can Google that. That's a fact. I think Swim USA has actually researched that 70,000... Um, 70, sorry, 70,000, 70%, 70% of under 12 African American kids cannot swim. Now, if you think about it, a lot of that's got to do with the um, uh, economic position of the parents to be able to take them. And that's why, by the way, guys and girls, this is not a political statement here, but when there was the uh, uh, um, uh, Louisiana um, floods and that, that is why so many people drowned, right? Anyway, let's move on to the thing that I wanted to say to you, and that is that please, guys and girls, understand this 10,000 hour rule. That's basically five years working 40 hours a week. It's going to take you to actually master something. Let's move on to the next point on the Sunday night rant, and that is, my friends, is I'm going to give you three things, three things, guys and girls, that are going to help take your listing presentation in real estate from a 7 out of 10 to a 9, 9.5 out of 10. Here are three things that are going to help you have an unstoppable, irresistible listing presentation. Number one, listen to me. We are so fortunate. Before we actually meet a client, we can actually go off and diagnose that client and we couldn't do that a decade ago, but we can do it now. And how we do it is this. We go on to LinkedIn and we look at what this person is like before we meet them as a professional. We look at what sort of articles they post or what they talk about and what they're into. We can also, so we look at them on a professional basis. Then we can actually suss out this person on a social media basis on Facebook. And we can see what they're like on a personal basis. We can also try and suss out and see if they're on Instagram. And what you're really looking for is things that are going to help you connect with this person when you are at the listing presentation. Yes, Gemma, off the plan. She wants me to get some off the plan content put in the real estate gym. And that's what I'm planning to do. Anyway, guys and girls, let me just move on. Let me just move on. I want you to understand that social media is going to allow you not to stalk this person, but to get a very good understanding of what drives this person. What are they thinking? What are their values? What do they care about? What frustrates them? What's most important for them? That is a lot better than you having to ask questions like your Tracy Grimshaw from today to night to someone or a current affair, right? So gang, I've got to say, that's my first tip. My second tip is this. If you can't beat someone on experience, yes, Lisa Novak, and I'm really looking forward to the interview that we've got with you on Tuesday. So Lisa, congratulations on you and Mark as well speaking at Momentum in Newcastle. I've got to say I love you guys and I see the great work that you're doing and you're a pleasure to have as a client, as friends more importantly. Be the knowledge agent is number two. 
Be the knowledge agent of the marketplace. And what I'm saying by be the knowledge agent, if you can't beat people on experience, hey Nicole, if you can't beat people on experience, if you can't beat people on other factors, at least beat them on knowledge. Be the knowledge worker of the marketplace. Be the agent that goes in there and has actually inspected all the other properties that this property is coming on the market against. And if you can't physically inspect them, you can actually do a virtual inspection by looking at them on a video on a video. Thank you, Sam. It was great being at Maruchi Door. It was great. I did seven conferences last week. I was so pumped about those. Anyway, so gang, number one, diagnose by using social media. Number two, be the knowledge agent, whether inspect the properties or whether you've actually sussed them all out on video and show this value at the listing presentation. And number three, number three is this. Have a clean agenda that solves a problem. Listen to me now, guys and girls. At some point at the listing presentation, you need to say this to a vendor. Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, over the last three years, I have done over 200 listing presentation appraisals for clients. Most clients ask me about five or six things. What I'd like to do is run through those things to see whether they're the things that you'd like to ask me while I'm here today. The first one is they'd like to ask me on what I think the market's like at the moment and whether it's a good time to sell or buy. The second thing they ask me is what I think the value of the property is in this market. The third thing they ask me is what is the best method of sale to sell a property like theirs. The fourth thing they ask me is what we charge to sell a property. The fifth thing they ask me is what kind of advertising and marketing would we be recommending. And the last thing that they ask me is how long it's going to take. Of course, if they're coming onto the market, they also want to know why they picked me and why my office. So Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, if we were to run through all of those things, would that meet most of the needs that you have in your calling out to see you today? So what you do is you summarize the things that you know they want to hear. You get confirmation that that's what they're looking for and you ask them this, is there anything else I would need to cover for you today to help you take the next step? So guys and girls, I can't stress the importance of having a clean business agenda that you sit at the dinner table with them, you answer all the things that they're going through their head and how do you know this? Because you know that over the last two, three years, these are the things that get asked by you, by people that are thinking of selling. By the way, guys and girls, I'm letting you know that we've made the decision that very soon there will be for real estate gym members. Due to the incredible success that we had with Gavin Rubenstein two weeks ago, we have decided that every week on a private real estate gym page for only real estate gym members, there will be 
a weekly rant. And that will be with me and one of the best girls or guys in real estate in Australia. And that will be behind the wall so only real estate gym members will see it. And it will be purely focused on real estate content. So if you're not a gym member, put your name down on the wait list now, realestategym.com.au, because we are going to open up the doors very soon, in a couple of weeks, I think, for our 2019. So every week, you're going to get this with me, a top girl or guy, about real estate as part of your gym membership. So let's move on. By the way, real estate gym members, you are going to be getting more information about how to have an unstoppable listing presentation. I gave out three tips, but in fact, there is a total of 11 that make it a total irresistible listing presentation. And gym members, you'll be getting that this week. Number four today, I want to talk about your calling. So I had a real estate coaching session with someone by computer, it was using Zoom, and I love Zoom, I love Zoom, because it's just a really easy way for me to have a quick half hour, one hour coaching session, looking at someone, showing a slide, anyway, you get the drift. Anyway, cut a long story short. The person said to me, I think what I'm doing at the moment is I'm meditating, and I'm trying to work out what my exact calling is. And we then talked about this subject, and it is how to find your calling, how to find your calling. And as we went through the conversation, what became very clear is no one's born with a calling. No one's actually born with something. Like, think about it. There's 8 billion people on the planet. Do you seriously think 8 billion people come onto the planet with just one single unique calling that no one else can have that calling? Do you seriously think that your aim in your life is to find out the one single thing that you have been brought onto the planet to do? Or is there a possibility... Is there a possibility that all you've got to do is actually work out what your interests are, dabble with them, and as you dabble with them and you taste test different things, you begin to work out, hey, I like this. I enjoy this. I'm good at this. It feels effortless. It flows, and there's a bonus here. I can um, make money out of it. So that's the secret. If you can find something in a quadrant that has the following, just picture the following. Let's call it three circles. Just picture three circles. And these three, I'll just draw it up. Three circles, see those? Like, good at, paid. What you're good at, what you like, and what you get paid for. Where these three things intersect, you know what I notice? You've got something 
that's got good, that's got flow, that's got passion, that's got energy. So gang, what I'm going to say to you is keep trying. If things aren't exciting you at the moment in life, keep trying. So let's move on to the next thing before we finish off tonight, and that is traditional marketing versus new marketing. Because I feel like people are either, hey, man, all this tech bullshit doesn't work, emails don't work, I'm more about picking up the phone, and there's another group of people that are say, she's a dinosaur, or he's a dinosaur. So I gave it a bit of thought, and I think that the right answer is the blended approach. And I've actually termed it real estate hybrid marketing. And that is that old school that still works, here, on the phone, that works. Door knocking cold, like a vacuum salesperson that used to work for Hoover, that doesn't work. But a trusted advisor door knock that's saying to people, hey, I'm doing an appraisal for a house down the road tomorrow at 11 o'clock. While I'm doing that, would you like me to prepare you a report? Because I'm going to that effort anyway. Hey, that's a trusted advisor door knock, that works. So see the difference? One is the old 80s style, hush, hush, with commission breath, I wanna sell you encyclopedias, I wanna sell you vacuum. What are they doing? ABC, always be closing. What's the new model? ABE, always be educating. Always be educating your marketplace. Now, let's talk about the marketplace because I believe that, yes, there is this farm area, but I also believe that there is now a digital farm area, right? There's a digital farm area, and that digital farm area can be really well targeted using, you know, social media tools, particularly, and I particularly love Facebook, right? Because Facebook allows you to actually hit people by age, by geography, um, and actually see very clear results. I'm sure the other platforms are going to get better with it as time goes by. Other things that are old school, traditional, yellow pages, I think that's out the window, right? Print. What do I think about that? You know, having known that I actually was a previous employee of News Corporation, and let me be very clear, News Corp owns most of realestate.com. I want everyone to understand that. And whilst I don't have an employee relationship, I do have a contract, and I do certain works for them. And, um, but regardless of that, I'm putting my interest there. Regardless of that, I have to say to you, print media to me still serves a purpose in the world of certain industries. Um, but I think that it works in combination, not in isolation. And I don't think it works for all properties. I think that a certain properties actually probably, uh, they lend themselves to actually being less paper-oriented. But I definitely do think to myself that print media served the purpose back then, served the purpose now. Um, video, 100%. Like, just think about it. Like, man, if you're not doing, like I'm doing what I'm saying, and that is you've got to accept it. Live on Insta and live on Facebook is something sooner or later you're going to have to get used to it because live Facebook does not hide. They give you a lot of traction, right? The other thing is rating sites. I have to say to you that I can't help but I interview a lot of real estate agents that tell me, and I interviewed the other day, Jason Panzer from uh, 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 the great agency in Wallara, uh, uh, Phillips Panzer Donnelly, 
And I have to say to you that, you know, he talked about how he uses rating sites like Rate My Agent. I think there's a marketplace for rating sites because we know now that consumers do actually check out what other consumers have said. They do that on travel. They do it on restaurants. They do it on all sorts of things, right? So I accept that. The next thing is um, voicemail drops. I mean, you know, automated, like those of you that are real estate members are going to be receiving my voice this week. They're going to be receiving and it goes in and it falls into your voicemail and it's me speaking to you. So I believe that automated voice text services are critical. I believe that um, um, digital farming is critical. So what am I basically saying? That great real estate people and great salespeople in general use I think are blended. They're using new school marketing and they're using old school marketing. Guys and girls, I want to thank you so much again for your attention and joining me on Sunday Night Ran. I'm hoping that, you know, one of the things the Sunday Night Ran does is also encourage you to actually go out there and work on your tribe. You want to get a tribe that's got your vibe? I have to say, you know, we've been working on this for a long period of time to get the permission to have a relationship with an audience on an ongoing basis. I'm pleased to let you know that um, it's a strategy that, you know, serves our business. It serves me. It's a touch point. How, how can I touch 10, 15,000 people a week better than actually setting up my equipment, coming into the studio for half an hour and actually, you know, spending time to create content? Guys and girls, on that point, I'm going to leave you and never, ever forget the comeback is always bigger than the setback. Go strong. Thanks for tuning in, guys and girls. You can join me on Facebook for the live Sunday Night Rant every week at 8.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. And if you're in real estate, just Google Tom Panos and you'll find a heap of resources and interviews where million-dollar agents share their strategies. See you next week. Let's have a look at the facts. What's your goal for the next